On one occasion, even the Apostle Peter acknowledged there are some things which Paul teaches which are hard to understand. Uh, perhaps that ran through your mind as we uh, read that passage before from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is talking of a great theme from glorious to more glorious. Let's begin with a question. What's your view of the Old Testament? If you want, if you want one question that you can ask of any Christian in the UK today that is guaranteed to bring the widest possible range of answers, maybe that is the question. What is your view of the Old Testament? As Paul unfolds for us the marks of true gospel ministry, it becomes apparent that there are those amongst these false teachers who are actually taking them back to certain aspects of the Old Testament which should no longer be part of Christian experience. Some of them seem to be wanting to set themselves up as some kind of special figurehead leader like those that we discover in the Old Testament Moses, Joshua, various of the judges Samuel, David and so on I want to be someone big, notable like that but that's not the kind of leader Paul has been trying to be and it's clearly not the kind of leadership he has in mind when he writes to men like Timothy and Titus, for example. Strong in faith and knowledge of the world and in, of the word and in doctrine and boldness. Well, those things can certainly be said to be true of Paul. But humble and meek in spirit and gentle in conduct. Some were presenting themselves as a kind of Old Testament priest. You need me if you're going to know anything of God. And you'll never really know him unless you have me. Allow me to lead you. And I will enhance your knowledge and worship of God. Well, that's a great error. There's a grave danger of that. For example, in the elevation of worship leaders in the church today. Follow me. Worship with me and I will elevate your worship of God. Be careful. And then there's the law and the place of the law in salvation. Now the gospel that Paul preaches is different to theirs. There are lots of these kinds of people going around in Paul's day. There are lots of these kinds of people in the church today. But the gospel that Paul preaches is different to theirs. And in this next little section at the end of chapter 3, 
And notice that at verse 12, there is one of Paul's trademark therefores. So we're going to look first at verses 7 to 11, and then we'll consider the therefore. Paul is again going to talk about the difference in his gospel ministry. And he talks about the glorious in verse 7, and the more glorious in verse 8. That which had glory, and that which exceeds much more in glory. That's verse 9. That which has glory, but which appears to have none, when exposed to the most glorious thing, and when placed alongside it. That's verse 10. That which has glory, which is passing away, and the more glorious thing, which is eternal. Verse 11. But what does Paul mean? Well, first of all, let's consider what is it that he's talking about when he talks about the thing that is glorious. And then let's consider what he's talking about when he talks about something that is more glorious. So what is it that he's talking about that he says is glorious? That which is glorious is the Old Testament law as given to Moses and recorded in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. Its central focus, of course, is the Ten Commandments. But then there followed all manner of instructions for the worship of God. Now, some of you as Christians might think that these are things that today should be completely dismissed by Christians as utterly worthless now. And of no use or value whatsoever. But Paul says, no. These things are glorious. The tabernacle with its furnishings and the priesthood who would administer worship on behalf of the people and the directions for various acts of worship with rituals and offerings and sacrifices. Paul refers to it as the letter in verse 6. It's first and foremost a covenant written down in words. It was glorious because remember, that covenant came from a glorious God. The same God who sent Christ is the same God who gave that covenant. It came from a God who is altogether holy and wise and just and good. It came from a God who was as a father to Israel and who loved them deeply. That Old Testament covenant was glorious. But it was a ministry of death, verse 7, and of condemnation, verse 9. That might seem to be a contradiction. <laughs> To say it's glorious, but to say it's a ministry of death and condemnation. But it isn't a contradiction. In what way is it a ministry of death and condemnation? And what is glorious about that? Well, it soon became very apparent that no one could possibly live up to the degrees of righteousness that a perfect and holy God requires. No one can keep the law. 
the people soon recognized that they couldn't possibly keep it. They can't possibly please God that way. And the transgressing of the law brought condemnation. But it got even worse when Israel demonstrated that their sinful hearts were such that they willfully disobeyed God. They knowingly disobeyed God. And that brought God's wrath to burn hot against them. At the heart of even this first old covenant was that they should love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. But they didn't. Because their sinful hearts wouldn't permit them to. They didn't have the capacity to do it. But it was glorious nonetheless. Because in the law, a way was made for the forgiveness of their sins. Don't forget that. God showed himself in that first glorious covenant. He showed himself to be a God of mercy and a God of grace. A God who was ready to forgive and pardon sin. And it was glorious because it was never designed to be the permanent solution. It was never designed or intended to be a permanent position. It was all pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in that it is glorious. Because in the old covenant we find the promise of Christ. And it's a glorious thing that God has given. But then Paul talks about that which is more glorious. God has established a new covenant. A covenant which was sealed by the blood of Christ. Paul mentions that in his instructions for the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The blood of the new covenant. In this new covenant there is a work of God's spirit. See that in verse 8. Which isn't present in the old one. And in this new covenant. God's spirit does a work of righteousness. In people's hearts. In a way that isn't present in the old one. In other words. This new covenant is that thing which the glorious old one was pointing to and saying, look, it's coming, it's coming. All the Old Testament rites and rituals and sacrifices and ceremonies, well, they've passed away along with the tabernacle and the priesthood because the Lord Jesus Christ has been the fulfillment of all of those things. Remember, though, that the requirements of the Old Covenant in terms of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, they've not been abolished. Jesus frequently affirms them. When he was asked, uh, what is the greatest commandment? 
What was his answer? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And that is a summary of the first four of the Ten Commandments. And to love your neighbour as yourself, that's his summary of the, 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 the other six. They're still in place. They still apply. That's still how God would have you live as a man or woman or boy or girl. But instead of being an external set of laws that we struggle to keep, our whole relationship to them has changed in Christ. He has paid the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins, securing our forgiveness forever. That's why all those old uh, rituals of sacrifice can be done away with. He it is who kept that law perfectly. He was born under that old covenant and he lived according to it and he did so without sin. And his righteousness has been imputed to us. It's been put to our account so that the righteousness in which we now stand before a holy God is not a righteousness of our own that we've earned or merited because we never could but it's the very righteousness of Christ which now has been given to us. The Holy Spirit has done a work of renewal and regeneration in our souls. He's given us that new heart prophesied of in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He's given us a new nature, the one that David prayed for in Psalm 51. We have that in Christ and God has written the law of God, not on stone, but on our hearts. He's placed that law within us. It's become part of our nature. We used to have a sinful nature with the law external from us, with us striving to keep something that we never could because of the sinful nature we had. But now we've been born again, we've been renewed, we've been made a new creation in Christ. And that thing which was outside of us has now been made part of us. It's become our nature now to keep God's law and to rejoice in it and be glad in it, to delight in it. So this new thing, this new gospel that Paul is preaching... This is the gospel of which he is a minister. It is far more glorious than the old. And what of the old covenant? Well, it still stands. And it still has usefulness. Because it shows us what God requires of us. As Paul says to the Corinthians, that law acts as a tutor, as a teacher to us, showing us that we can never merit God's favour. That old covenant still shows us what God requires of you. But it shows us that we can never live up to that. And it drives us to the one through whom we may be reconciled to God. It drives us to Christ, who is our only hope of salvation. 
That Old Testament covenant shows us the helplessness and hopelessness of our state before God. And it directs us to Christ, the one who has fulfilled it perfectly and in whose righteousness we may now dwell and live. Christ himself. Having come to him, we enter into the blessings and riches of that which is more glorious, which actually is Christ himself. Christ himself. There was an old black and white film on the TV the other week. It was about aeroplanes. The breaking of the sound barrier. It actually contained quite a few historical and technical inaccuracies, as most films tend to do. But in one scene, the managing director of an aircraft company handed to the test pilot a model of the new aircraft they were going to build. The plane that they hoped would break the sound barrier. The look on the test pilot's face as he held that model said it all. This is glorious. This is glorious. It was unlike anything he'd ever seen. But it didn't match his response when they rolled out the prototype from the hangar. The model was put down and out he went to that which was more glorious. The model was just a promise and a hope of what was to come. But when the reality came, you take the model and put it alongside the real thing and the glory of the model fades. Not because the model has become less glorious, but because it's been placed alongside something which is far more glorious. The real thing. The thing promised. And he had it. You don't get to sit in the cockpit of a model. But he got to sit in the cockpit of the real thing. He didn't stay in the office playing with the model. He jumped in the cockpit of the real thing and flew it. The glorious, says Paul, has given way to the more glorious. The old covenant, verse 11, was actually in a permanent state of passing away was always intended to be a, perm- a, a temporary thing. But what remains is eternal and more glorious. This is the gospel I'm preaching. That's what Paul is saying here. This is the gospel I'm preaching. What are these others saying? This is my gospel. So what Paul is saying is that the gospel that he preaches is this more glorious new covenant 
which has been established in Christ forever and which becomes sealed in the heart, in the hearts of those who receive it by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the grand work of God's Spirit in the, in the life of a sinner. He changes sinners into saints. The old covenant was a glorious covenant. Just because you're a Christian, don't despise the Old Testament. But when placed alongside the new, the new covenant is so much more glorious that the old one, by comparison, looks as if it has no glory at all. That's verse 10. By comparison, the old seems to have no glory compared to the new. But it's not because of a lack of glory in the old. It's because of the extent of the glory in the new. The new outshines the old so much. This is the gospel I'm preaching, says Paul. Therefore, verse 12, therefore, let's run through these verses as they appear on the text of the Bible. Verse 12, since we have such hope, because of the assurance and certainty of this covenant which Christ has established, and which the Holy Spirit imparts into people's lives. Because it is unquestionably the work of God, because it is for us the task of making Christ known, diffusing the aroma of his knowledge as we saw this morning, and it is of God to bring either death or life. We have this great hope in the preaching of the gospel, says Paul, because this is such a certain thing, such a sure thing. I might not be the most gifted and eloquent orator. There are far better men than me in that regard. But no one speaks with greater boldness or confidence than I do. Verse 13. Unlike Moses. When Moses had spent time with God on the mountain, when God had given Moses the commandments, he came down off that mountain from the presence of God. And the Bible records that his face was shining with a great countenance, such that they actually had to cover his face. That same veil also kept them from seeing that the shine on his face was gradually fading, just like the covenant itself would pass away. There's no fading countenance on Paul's face. There's no fading joy in Paul's heart. There's no fading hope in his faith in Christ. There's nothing fading away in the gospel that Paul is proclaiming. 
we have this great hope, the certainty and assurance of this glorious new covenant in Christ. Verse 14. But there's still a veil in place to this day. People read the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and in reading it, they don't see what they're supposed to see because they can't see it. They're supposed to see Christ, but they don't see him anywhere. And for those of you who are Christians who struggle with the Old Testament, that really is at the heart of the Old Testament. You're supposed to read the Old Testament and there you see Christ. They're supposed to see how hopeless the Old Covenant is without Christ and allow it to direct them to their need of him. Christians thrill, or at least I hope you do, when you hear Abraham say to his son Isaac on the mountain, God himself will provide a lamb. Oh yes, that's Christ. That's what you're supposed to see. That's the message of that passage. Christ is coming. Christians love the story, or at least I hope you do, you should. They love the story of the blood sprinkled across the doorposts of the homes of the Israelites in captivity in Egypt so that when the angel of death passes by, they will be saved. Yes, that's Christ, the Christian shouts. At least I hope you do. That's what you're supposed to see. You see, the old covenant is glorious. Because Christ is there. It's as clear a picture of Christ as you could hope to find. And the heart of the Christian cannot but think of Gethsemane and Calvary when you read Isaiah chapter 53. Can you? Oh, that's my Saviour. That's the Lord Jesus suffering for me. That man of sorrows, that's Christ. And as they listen, as they listen in on the prayer of David in Psalm 51, as he cries out to the Lord, yes, yes, says the Christian, that's what I have in Christ my sins washed and cleansed. A new spirit put within me. That's the new covenant, isn't it? The more glorious one. The veil is taken away in Christ. And I see him there. He's always been there. But now I see him. But many, verse 15, still don't. But when you turn to the Lord, when you turn to the Lord from sin to repentance, from darkness to light, from walking by sight to walking by faith, from trusting in yourself to trusting in Christ, 
to having yourself on the throne of your life to putting Christ on it. When you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now you look back at the old covenant as one who's been set free. Liberty comes. No longer is that old covenant an oppressive regime that will always defeat you. No longer is it a ministry of death to you. For in it now, you see your sinfulness laid bare. You see the hopelessness of your situation outside of Christ. You see all the great promises of God as the one who will himself become salvation for you. You hear the exhortations to repent and return to the Lord and you see in Christ the fulfillment of it all. You look back on the old covenant with such gratitude and such amazement for all that it taught you about what it is to be a sinner before a holy God and what it taught you of his promised grace what it showed you about his promised mercy which were all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. As many have said before, I'm not sure where I first heard this but I've heard it said many times, the Christian should love the Old Testament but we don't live there. But we love it. It is glorious. But praise God, we now live in the experience of something far more glorious. In Christ, who is the express image of God, whom to see is to look upon the Father. In him, the veil is removed. Verse 18. And we are being changed from glory to glory. What does that mean? The glory begins at the moment of our conversion. What a glorious thing it is to be converted. What a glorious thing it is to be brought to repentance and faith in Christ. What a glorious thing it is to be the object of God's grace. What a glorious and remarkable transformation takes place as we who were dead in our sins are made alive. In Christ, what a glorious thing that, that is. And the, the glory begins for us as Christians at the moment of our conversion. When we first trust in Christ, what a glorious day to be born again of God's Spirit. Have you been born again? To be made alive in Christ and to be seated with him in heavenly places, as he says to the Ephesians. And from that glorious beginning, we continue and increase in glory. We continue to be transformed into his image, transformed into his likeness, as Peter puts it, becoming partakers of the divine nature. What a, what a phrase that is. We continue to grow in Christ. And then finally, 
to be translated into perfect and everlasting glory at the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ when he takes you to be with himself. This is the gospel I preach to you, Paul is saying. This is the gospel I'll be seeking to build you up in if I visit you again. I'm just an instrument in the hand of God, no more, no less. I have no special powers. There's nothing about my personality or my gifting that can ever account for what has resulted from my gospel ministry. No man or woman can ever produce this just because they might look or sound the part. There's no human explanation for what's occurred. In those who have been saved, it's been all of God through me, his humble slave. That's my ministry. That's the gospel. God transformed your lives, you Corinthians. And how did he do it? Just as I've said. And this remains God's means of bringing men and women and boys and girls to a saving knowledge of Christ and to a transformed life. Nothing's changed. Because this more glorious thing remains. It's not fading away. It's not going to be replaced by anything else. This is it. This is what we have till we get to heaven. The simple, clear, bold proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It needs no embellishment. And for those who belong to Christ, the veil is taken away. How? Through clever schemes and smart programs and novel gimmicks? No. The veil is taken away in Christ. The Spirit does his work and the sinful, captive soul is set free. Have you been set free from sin in Christ? And with this hope, with this assurance... We, like Paul, are to speak boldly. To live in Christ's righteousness in order to diffuse the aroma and knowledge of Christ and to make Christ known. May we, with God's help and by his grace, be such servants of Christ today.